0: Well, what a privilege um, I have to be able to bring the Word of God to us this morning. Just super excited for the chance for us to come together uh, and think deeply on the Word of God. I just love it. And so to do that, we are going to attempt the impossible. You see, my normal uh, preaching style is to take a portion of Scripture, Uh, normally a couple of verses, perhaps even a uh, a whole chapter, and just sit in the text. You're right. Just give that piece of scripture uh, some time to breathe. Uh, today, um, that portion of scripture just happens to be four chapters long. Uh, uh, so now, obviously, with four chapters to cover, we are only going to uh, get an overview. Uh, there will be times where we'll be able to slow down a little bit, uh, but for the most part, we're going to, get, well, we're going to cover the overarching uh, life and theme of a very interesting character in the Bible. This morning, I want to look at the life of Samson. So if you haven't heard of his story before, you're in for a treat. And if you have, well, I'm hoping that you'll have lots to think deeply on as we look at Samson's life this morning. Now, the story of Samson is found in the book of Judges. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, grab them and turn to Judges chapter 13, or follow along on screen. And as you're finding the book of Judges, let me briefly set the scene. Uh, For a start, the book of Judges should probably come with an R18 warning just for just how violent it is. You see, it covers a point in time, uh, well over 3,000 years ago, uh, where the nation of Israel, they've they've left Egypt, they've come out of Egypt, and they are settling into the promised land. But as their leaders die off, Israel forgets about God, and they start worshipping false gods. And when they do that, their society becomes more and more godless. It becomes more corrupt, more violent. And so God would, would, would remove his hand of protection over them and leave them to their consequences. And the consequences were that Israel's enemies would rule over them for a period of time. But then Israel would would cry out for help and God would deliver them from the enemy. But then once again, they would forget God and the cycle would repeat. And this is how our story starts. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So Israel says to God, that they don't want him. So God leaves them to their choices. And so for 40 years, um, their enemy, the Philistines, rule over them harshly. And so while God leaves them to their um, bad choices, in the background, God has not uh, fully abandoned them. He already has a plan. He's going to deliver Israel back to him. And so God loves to use ordinary people for his extraordinary plan. And so we read this. A certain man from Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to, have, uh, you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. This is where our story goes from hopelessness Right? Israel is enslaved by uh, their enemies to hopeful. Right? God has not forgotten his rebellious children. And so this is super exciting. Hope is coming. A hero, a champion, will arise and bring freedom to Israel. And this hero will be a Nazarite from birth. Now, a Nazarite vow is explained in greater detail in the book of Numbers chapter 6, and typically what it is, it's a, a vow made to God for a set period of time. So Samson is a little bit different in that his vow is for an entire life. And this vow was primarily made up of, of three aspects that you know the angel did mention. In fact, in our story, the angel mentions this twice, just for us to really make sure we pay attention to what those vows are. And the three aspects involve avoiding anything from uh, the grapevine, right? So wine, grape juice, grapes, even raisins. Avoiding anything, eating anything unclean. So there were specific creatures or, or animals that um, was off limits to Israel. Also, in the book of Leviticus, where you will find what is clean and what is unclean, um, it also describes that even touching a dead animal was considered unclean. So Samson would need to avoid touching dead animals and eating only animals prepared in the correct way to make them clean. And lastly, he was never to cut his hair. It was a visible outward sign to people of his vow to God. Pretty straightforward. Not too much to remember So imagine, just imagine being the mum or the father of Samson. You know, how all your hope for your people now rests on your child. This huge destiny this child has on him upon their life, watching him grow up and play. Imagine the play fights he would get into at school. How would you parent that? I mean, he's just practicing, you know. He's getting ready to bring the fight to God's people. Oh, sorry, to God's enemy. And so you would watch this boy grow, holding on to that promise that the angel spoke over uh, your child. And every day you would diligently make sure he kept his vow, right? No raisins in a school lunchbox. You'd keep him away from anything unclean. So dead animals he couldn't touch. And this is a boy, remember. He's going to want to poke a dead animal, with a, at least with a stick. Um, but his parents would have to gently remind him not to, you know, that God has a special plan for his life. His parents would explain his long hair, that he must never cut his hair as it's part of his vow to God. And so ends our first chapter with these hope-filled words. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. This is the end of our chapter. And this is the start of every great story, every great movie. Because in every great story, there is oppression, there is hardship, an enemy to overcome. Then there is hope, right? A savior, a hero will arise. Order and peace will be established. And I love it. Hope is coming. God has not forgotten his people. He will set his people free. The question is, how will God use Samson to free his people? Well, let's find out in chapter 14. We read how Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Hmm, wait a minute. (laughs) Not quite what we were expecting, eh? Um, I mean, the promise that the angel had over Samson's life was that he would deliver Israel from their enemies, not marry them, not become like them. Like, where's the battle? And notably, his parents are a little bit upset. They say this, His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among our own people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? Basically, they too are confused and are really saying to Samson that this girl, she doesn't love God. She worships a false God. This girl belongs to the people who are currently crushing us. Marriage to this girl is not going to end well. But our hero, Samson, doesn't care. He's smitten by her beauty, and so his parents relent. And it's on the journey down to organize his upcoming wedding that we finally get a hint of how powerful Samson's strength is when he is ambushed by a lion. The lion has no chance. Would the Bible describe how with his bare hands, he just tears this thing apart? He just destroys this lion. And so, yes, we see a glimpse of uh, God's power coursing through his veins. But we also start to see more of his weakness. It says uh, how sometime later, Samson goes past that dead, rotting lion and discovers a swarm of bees have taken up residence in the shade of the carcass. And so he takes some of the honey and eats it, but he doesn't tell his parents about where he got the honey from. Why? Because he knows that this is going against his vow. The lion is unclean. He's supposed to avoid touching it, let alone eating anything from it. The cracks in our hero are starting to show. And if things were not already confusing as to where Samson's allegiances lie, what's quite troubling is the town uh, his wife-to-be is from, Timnah. It's, ter- it's a town surrounded by vineyards. So grapes, the very thing Samson is supposed to avoid. That's what this town is famous for. It's like if a person was trying to uh, break their gambling habit you wouldn't recommend they move to Vegas. That would just be unwise. And yet, here's Samson throwing a party in Timnah, surrounded by vineyards, and it gets worse. In Judges 14.10, we read how Samson made a feast there. And while that word feast there strongly implies alcohol, banquet, to drink, so it's not said, but it strongly implied that Samson isn't really taking his vow of avoiding the fruit of the vine seriously. So, our story continues at this wedding celebration. And during the celebration, Samson proposes a bet to some of the men at his wedding. And basically, he says, if you can correctly answer my riddle, I'll give you 30 new sets of clothes. Of course, if I win, you have to give me 30 sets of clothes. Samson's guests agree to the terms, and Samson, he's basically rubbing his hands in anticipation, like he is going to get rich off these guys. He's got a really good riddle. But his guests don't want to be made fools of, and so they put pressure on Samson's bride. And you know it's an out-of-control, drunken party when the guests say to the bride, coax your husband into explaining explain the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. I would suspect the guests are a little bit intoxicated with comments like that. Terrified. Samson's bride, of course, sides with her people and her culture, and she does eventually coax the answer of the riddle out of Samson. She then, of course, tells the answer to her guests to avoid, you know, the whole being burned part. Then in a rage, Samson storms off from the party. He goes down the road, not to the warehouse, not to Helen Stein's to pick up 30 t-shirts. Nah, he goes to another Philistine town and murders 30 guys, stealing their clothes, and then angrily gives it to the guests he lost his bet with. There ends... Chapter 14. Um, We're kind of left a little bit unsure, eh? How to feel, right? Like, I guess kind of killing 30 guys is kind of on the right trajectory. Um, But it wasn't done on the battlefront. It wasn't done in war. He wasn't leading an army to victory. No, he just straight up murders 30 guys for their clothes. And he does this while trying to marry his enemy. The hope... We had for this guy of setting sending Israel free. It's, oh, it's looking a little bit dicey. Hopefully, chapter 15, maybe that's where we will see things turn around for good. So chapter 15 starts with Samson's anger cooling down. So that's yeah, a promising sign. And he goes back to see his bride. However, his father-in-law says this. I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Samson said to them, this time, I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. Honestly, Samson at this point is like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? Like he just snaps at an instant. And once again, we see Samson get angry and vengeful. It's all about his pride, his honor. And so he goes out to get his sweet revenge in what is probably the most bizarre way of setting fields on fire as revenge. He goes out and he catches 300 foxes, ties them in pairs together at their tails, and then ties a flaming torch to that end of their tails. So as they run to try and escape from each other, and the flames, they set fire to all the wheat fields, vineyards, and olive groves of the Philistines it's probably safe to say that Samson isn't the patron saint of SPCA. Okay? Just not very uh, yeah. So everything burns, right? And remember this is the food supply of the city. This is pack and save burning to the ground. This enrages the Philistines who in turn exact their revenge on Samson. They kill his wife his father-in-law. And as violence begets violence Samson once again vows revenge. Samson said to them, since you have acted like this, I swear, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Um, did I mention at the start of this message how brutal this period of time was? Yeah, you're sort of starting to get a feel for it, eh? So now, of course, the Philistines, again, now they want revenge. So they track Samson down to a cave in the region of Judah. Now, the tribe of Judah want to avoid a full-scale war with their rulers, the Philistines. So 3,000 men from the tribe of Judah arrive at Samson's cave worried. They don't want a war with the Philistines, but neither do they want a war with Samson. Uh, He is a fellow Israelite. However, it does reveal just how feared this guy Samson was that they sent 3,000 men just to capture one man. Let that sink in. Samson, he then cuts a deal with the men of Judah, saying that if they promise not to kill him, then he'll let them tie him up and hand him over to the Philistines. And you can just about hear that like audible sigh that it would have come from these men. They feared a war. So when Samson gives up, the tension in the atmosphere would have quickly dissipated. But then we read this. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. And as he he approached Lehi, the Philistines came upon him shouting. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax. And the bindings dropped from his hands. Finally, a battle against the enemies of God. All Samson needs is a weapon. So, what does he grab? Does he grab a weapon from one of the 3,000 soldiers from Judah? Nah. Does he grab a rock from the cave he was just in? Nope. Does he grab a branch and use it like a club? Nah he decides on another novel solution. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men with it. So Samson lays into his enemies with a donkey's jawbone. But once again, this is problematic. The text says that it was a fresh jawbone. It's still rotting. It's unclean. He's not supposed to touch things like that because of his vow to God. Like I just mentioned, there were other weapons he could have utilised. Why the jawbone of a rotting donkey carcass? Our hero is he's all over the show. Yeah, he's finally attacking an army rather than robbing and murdering civilians. So we are kind of headed in the right direction, but he really doesn't think much of his vows. And so chapter 15 comes to an end. And it's still a story centering around Samson's anger, vengeance, and rage, isn't it? That hope we had at the beginning of our story that he would lead Israel, well, it's it's fading. It's getting dimmer, isn't it? Ah, Here we go. Chapter 16. This is where the story surely must get better. This is where surely it must turn around. Verse 1. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. Oh, come on, man. You are not making this message easy. I tell you what, though, church, like in Sunday school, I bet you never had that as a memory verse, right? <laughs> Look, in all seriousness, this is not good, right? This does not honor God in any way. He's not loving God and protecting woman. He's ignoring God while using woman. And if you haven't worked it out yet, the Bible simply reveals um, people for how they really are. It doesn't try to cover up their sin. It's brutally honest. It, sh- it just simply shows us what a life looks like when we live for ourselves and not God. So back to Samson. Again, we will see Samson get into trouble with woman, as this time he falls in love with a woman named Delilah. Now, Delilah is, again, a Philistine woman. So, again, she doesn't worship God. She worships, she loves money. You see, the Philistine rulers cut her a deal. For a stonkingly huge amount of money, Delilah sides with her people her false god, and then plots to find out the source of Samson's strength. And to Samson, well, this is all just a game. This is a bit of fun for him. So she asked him what the secret is to his strength. And so his first reply is translated like this in my Bible. If anyone ties me with seven thresh thongs that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any man. Now, I have some questions around that verse because we all know Australians call jandals or flip flops thongs, right? And yeah, you know, it's confusing. Um, fortunately, if you have a modern Bible or a digital Bible, this word is now translated as bowstrings instead. So the strong string used to loose an arrow uh, from a bow, Samson is saying seven of those strings too strong for me. But, here again, we run into problems. See, back in those days, uh, the most effective way to make a bowstring was to use animal tendons or animal intestines twisted together and dried. And he's saying fresh ones. He thought it would be a, a huge laugh to be tied up with fresh animal tendons and guts. Besides being super slimy and gross, Again, super unclean, right? He's not really caring about his vow to God. And so this game continues two more times. Delilah asks, how he is so strong, and two more times, he has fun with her. Oh, do this, Ah, oh, do that. It's just a fun game for him. Until it isn't. Finally, we read this sad verse. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. His last vow would now be broken. While Samson sleeps, Delilah calls for a hairdresser and his hair is then cut off. Then Delilah wakes Samson up, warning him that his enemies have found him. And we read how he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and I'll shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. That high hope we had at the beginning of our story how Samson would free God's people, how he would usher in peace and keep evil at bay, seems all wasted. All that potential, just gone. But there is one final twist to our story. The Philistine rulers, they throw a huge party in celebration of how their God was stronger than Samson. And so a blind Samson is brought out of his dungeon and brought before the crowd to be paraded around and laughed at. And so we get one last prayer from Samson. Would he pray for repentance? That he was sorry? Would he pray for God's mercy? Nah, this is Samson. He prays for vengeance. He prays for violence. I'll read the final few verses of Samson's life. And then we'll ask some questions about the story to think on. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached out toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his his right hand on one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, "Let me die with the Philistines." Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died while he lived than while he lived. The end. That was his story. What do we do? with this story, with his life. It it all seems like such a waste. What what happened to the hope that was destined for Israel? I mean, there's nothing positive here, nothing for us to copy or emulate, Uh, nothing to hold up as exemplary. So why is this story in the Bible? Why did God... Make sure we had this story. What are we to learn from the story? Look, it's definitely not a a bad idea to learn from other people's mistakes. That's called wisdom. So yes, we can learn from Samson's mistakes. So we don't make them. We can draw out good morals from bad examples of morality from stories like Samson's. These are not bad ideas. The thing is though, That's not the central message of the Bible. No, Samson's story and other stories in the Bible reveal a bigger story going on. You see, Samson's story, well, it's my story. It's your story. It's humanity's story. You see, in Genesis, God created and blessed our first parents, Adam and Eve. He gave them his spirit. He gave them his love, purpose, freedom, and the mandate to lovingly rule over his creation. But how did Adam and Eve respond to God? How has every other human being uh, responded to God ever since? Like Samson, we have all turned away from God and his promises. Like Samson, we have all uh, sought our own glory And like Samson, we have all sought our own good apart from God. We take God's good gifts and instead of using them to love God and to love others, use them selfishly. We use them for our own good, our own evil desires. And like Samson's actions, our actions then hurt others around us our friends, family, co workers. All get hurt at some point because our, of our self-centeredness. You see, the story of Samson is really a mirror. We read it and we see ourselves in Samson's shoes. We read how the story of Samson, we read the story of Samson, and we should feel sad not only for Samson, but for us too. We see our own fractured. Broken lives reflected in the pages of Samson's story. And here's the thing, church. We are now at the lowest of low points in our collective story. This realization that we are Samson. That Samson's story reflects humanity's story. This is the darkest hour. This is the most hopeless part. But... In every great story, every great movie, when all hope seems lost, when defeat seems inevitable, who should arrive in the nick of time? A hero. We need a hero. Who is the hero of this story? Because clearly it is not Samson. It's Jesus. Jesus is the hero, not Samson, not me, not you, Jesus. You see, the Bible has the simplest plot ever. The Bible always points us to Jesus and why we need him. Jesus himself says in John 5.39 about the Bible that these are the scriptures that testify about me. The Bible is all about Jesus. Now, if Jesus... Is the hero of Samson's story, did you see him? If you know the story of Jesus in the New New Testament, the chances are you'll see an echo in the story of Samson. Similar in some ways, but different and better in others. Think back over our story. An angel visits Samson's mum. An angel visits Jesus' mum. Samson's birth was miraculous. She couldn't conceive. Jesus' birth was miraculous. Samson had prophecies spoken over his life. So did Jesus. Samson was given the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. Samson grew up with the favor of God. Jesus grew up with the favor of God and man. You see, Jesus can identify with our broken story, but his story is better. This is where the story gets better. This is where the true hope lies in Samson's story, where the true hope lies in our story. You see, Samson, he selfishly served himself, but Jesus came to humbly serve others. Samson Used and abused woman for his own gratification. But Jesus came and restored the dignity, value, and worth of all women. Samson disobeyed his parents, but Jesus loved and cared and obeyed his parents. Samson repeatedly broke his vows to God, but Jesus kept every single law of God. Samson sought revenge on his enemies. But Jesus came to bring peace to his enemies. And lastly, Samson stretched out his arms to kill his enemies, dying with them. But Jesus stretched out his arms, lovingly dying for his enemies, dying in place of his enemies. Church, Jesus is the better Samson. Jesus is the true hero. You know, we need to celebrate this. We need to just, you know, this is why we have come. It's all about Jesus. And firstly, it's this. Look, if if you are here and you don't know Jesus, but right now there is a longing in your heart, there is an ache in your heart where you have seen yourself in Samson's story, trying to be your own saviour. Today, you can have the real hero. You can have Jesus. Then we'd love to be able to pray for you. Come forward. Receive Jesus. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his love. We'd love to be able to pray for you. And secondly, you might already know and love Jesus, but You recognize that there are areas in your life where you've put your hope in a Samson-like figure rather than Jesus. So maybe it's a relationship, a job, or a dream that you thought would bring you fulfillment that would save you, but it hasn't filled that longing, that void. It's a false savior. Then please, bring those cares, those worries, and concerns to Jesus Let Jesus once again be the hero of your life. Jesus is more than enough. Thanks so much for joining us for today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whānau or you'd like to touch base, then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in-person services, online services, various resources and activities. Enjoy the day. Be blessed.